Welcome to the ReChoice Podcast. It's the ReChoice Podcast, where you can listen again, choose wisely, and live joyfully. My name is Joe Pellerito, and today's episode 56 with Lieutenant Commander James Dells. Recalibrate. We will also feature other listener voices throughout this special topic. Get ready, we're going deep. Three basic steps to rechoice. Name the experience, choose a rechoice word, and then tell us how it connects. You can read more at rechoicepod.com, but now, let's go to the show! One really fun thing about doing this podcast is reconnecting with friends that I grew up with. Today, we have a friend from my middle school days joining us. One thing we have in common, we were born the same month, just two days apart. I'll never forget in adulthood when he reached out of the blue many years back to wish me a happy birthday through the phone. This was before social media, frequent email and texting. He gave me a call. Well, I'm giving him a call right now, and he's on the line. He even attended our 40th birthday extravaganza when my twin brother was in town, and we had a random breakfast across the street at Steak and Shake. We have other things in common, as you're about to find out. It's my pleasure to introduce to you Mr. James Dells. Hello, Jim. Hey, Joe. Thank you. And Thanks for remembering that phone call that I gave you. I recall that. And at the time, I lived out in San Diego, and uh, we hadn't talked in many years. <laughs> and uh, I always knew when your birthday was, uh, even if I even if I didn't say it, um, I always thought about it yes. um, for forever. And and I don't know what it was. Just one one day, I just I was like, I gotta call Joe. I gotta wish him a happy birthday. So I'm I'm happy that you remembered that because. Uh, you know that makes me that makes me really satisfied that that my friendship uh, yes. meant meant that much to you. Well, and it's the same here. Whenever the eleventh comes by, I well, number one, I know my birthday's coming, but I always remember that it's yours too. So that's a really cool thing. What's something good going on for you right now? Yeah, Joe. So you know, at my job, and I don't want to bore you with too much of the details, but this last week we hit a really big milestone and it wasn't just that we hit the milestone. It's just the way that we're doing business is drawing a lot of attention because it's different Mm -hmm. and we are getting a lot accomplished really quick. And it's, it was a extremely proud moment for, for me leading my team to get to this major milestone. So that's, what's good in my life. And then, obviously, uh, we, we have a lot of uh, good stuff amongst the storm, a, lo- a lot of good people uh, doing good stuff across our country yeah. right now for democracy and, and for freedom. Oh, I love that. And I, I, there is a sense of accomplishment, too, right? When you, when you just see a full thing come together, um, back to leading your team there, and you're like, we did it. We did it. You know, that's exciting. So. Hey, we're going to we're going to play our game. Are you ready? I'm ready. Now, uh listeners, he has no idea what's coming, but but at the same time, he does. He's he's going to know these answers. But listeners, I want you to be thinking of what it could be. The first question, name that building. The motto of this building is if there's a problem, we look for a solution. If there's a better way, we find it. If a teammate needs help, we step in. And if you need help, you ask. Our best, your best. Now that alone, Jim, 
probably won't tell you the location, but what if I said it's on Chandy Drive near a residential neighborhood? What is that big building? Yeah, that has to be Highlands Middle School. Bing, 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 bing. You got it. Good. So tell the listeners, what is Highland? Like, what grade level is that? Do you remember? Absolutely. I mean, that was fifth and sixth grade Highlands Middle School. And it was, at time, the only middle school in our school district. So everybody who was in fifth and sixth grade went to Highlands. And you, I mean, you're on the court, Chandy Court. That's right. I mean, I lived right up the hill from from the middle school and lots of fond memories of of being at the middle school. And I remember uh, hanging out at your house many, many times. Um, what what do you remember about the two of us in fifth and sixth grade? So I, I remember that, you know, we spent a lot of time bouncing back and forth between each other's houses. And, uh, you know, the dynamics in our two houses were quite different. <laughs> oh, but yeah. The one thing that it had in common is we loved playing video games oh, yeah. together. <laughs> we loved we loved playing uh, you know, the Mario games together. And that was right around the time where Super Mario Brothers 2 was out. Yeah. And uh, we spent a lot of time playing those games together. And I remember at your house, you had an Atari 64 and a bunch <laughs> of the Atari 64 games. And I loved coming over. And there's one I can't remember the name of it. We, we loved playing that game. I, I can't remember what it was, though. Do you remember anything about the game or what it was about? Yeah, it was like an RPG where you had to walk around a castle. You had to find a key and so you had to I wonder go if it was like rooms. Pitfall, maybe. I it was something know. like that. I don't. I don't remember exactly, <laughs> but I remember going over to your house and having a lot of fun doing all that stuff and uh, doing sleepovers at your house. Yeah. And, uh, you know, y- your family was always super kind to me and uh, you know great for for my family too. So. Oh, awesome! And, I yeah, it was kind of a zoo there though, wasn't it? Do you know? It was. Do you remember what I mean? It, what, what do I mean by that? Do you think? Yeah, absolutely. There were about three hundred birds flying around the house. <laughs> um, you know, I remember you had a couple white. Uh, I think they were either cockatoos. You had a ton of parakeets, um, <laughs> and and they were always singing and chirping. And uh, I don't know if you remember this or not, but I think it was my tenth birthday. You gave me a white parakeet in the cage. Oh my gosh! I forgot that. I, yeah, it was it was a, a bird that you know was born at your house, and then oh you know your gosh. family gave it to me as a gift, and that bird lived either nine or ten years. It lived forever. <laughs> I am it, so it, glad you said that. Yeah, that that was a it was an old bird. Um, you know, it was it, it stayed around. <laughs> That's fantastic, man. <laughs> It loved life. It must have. It must have known something, right? I mean, it, it, not that I believe in magic, but that that must have been a magic bird. <laughs> That's great. Well, good job on question one. Here comes question two. Name that group. Uh, there's no official motto for this group, from what my great research on Wikipedia. But one often cited is "Non CB said Petri" or "Not self but country." You know, I mentioned birthdays earlier, and this group recently celebrated its 245th birthday as it was founded October 13th, 1775. All right. What do you think that could be? Well, I believe that is my brothers and sisters in arms, Mm. the United States Navy. Great. And uh, associated with the Marines too, because I I think they kind of went together, didn't they? They they definitely do. The Marines are uh, part of the the Department of the Navy, mm-hmm. although they have their own commandant and they have their own, 
you know, um, you know, customs and traditions and everything like that. So in all intent and purpose, they're their own branch, but just has to be do with the, you know, how the budget flows down from Congress and, yeah. and what's written in the federal law. Um, you know, the Navy, we, we it might not have an official motto, but we definitely have a core of customs and we, we have um, three core values, which are honor, courage, and commitment. So, mm. um, you know, maybe not an official motto, but that's how we refer to each other, you know, as sailors through these core values of honor, courage, and commitment. Hey, good job on that one, Jim. And and before we go to question three, just let our listeners know, you know, where are you today? And, you know, in, in terms of why you think I even asked that question about the Navy. I currently live in uh, Springfield, Virginia, and I am an active duty officer in the United States Navy. And so that's probably why you asked me that. And I guess now is a good a time as any to, yeah. to say that I've been a career military guy and um, have spent the, the vast majority of my adult years in uniform. Today you're in Springfield, Virginia, but where where has that taken you? We heard San Diego earlier, so my guess is that that is one location. Right, that's one location. Um, you know, my family and I, we've lived in Maryland. Um, we've lived in Hawaii. We've obviously lived in Virginia. I've done a tour in Kuwait. So we've been a lot of different places and, and had, you know, the military, we move every two to three years. And, uh, you know, there was a period of time where we were actually off of active duty and we lived back in Michigan and you alluded to a couple of these in the intro. Mm-hmm. Um, and we moved back to Michigan for a short while, but came right back on active duty and, and now we're in Virginia. We've also lived in Tennessee. Wow. We may even hear more about that, that whole journey to get into there and everything coming up in our story, I think, but, um, that, that definitely got us for question two. So thank you. Question three, name that department or degree. Here we go. Jim, this will be easy for you. I'm wondering if our listeners can get it. The four general areas of emphasis under this degree are microbiology, anatomy, physiology, and nutrition. In fact, at Grand Valley State University, students and faculty are currently gaining lab experience through research in bacterial genetics, cancer biology, cardiovascular disease, epidemiology, immuno... How do I say that? Immuno immunology, neuroscience, obesity, stem cell biology, toxicology, and more. So what is the name of the department and the degree that this falls under? So that degree is called the biomedical science. You got it. Yes. Then what got you involved with that? It it was kind of a, uh, you know, funny story. I think we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but when I, when I finally was able to make that commitment in myself to work on an undergraduate degree, um, I, I really thought about what's the most challenging thing I can put myself into. <laughs> yeah. Where can I, where can I test myself? Where can I really have to push my boundaries and, uh, you know, not to say that there's any uh, lesser degree that, or I couldn't have accomplished that with any other degree. But um, as I started doing this deliberation in my head, that's the one I thought would be really a challenge and, uh, you know, teach me to think in different ways. So that's the one I picked, and that's the undergraduate degree that I got from Grand Valley. All right. So, I mean, what else did you find in your studies at GVSU? Or, or maybe I should say, who did you find in your studies at GVSU? Let's, um, let's 
there's two good questions in there, and I okay. don't want to leave one behind. I'll do it. So, yeah. Here's here's what I found working at Grand Valley or working towards my degree at Grand Valley. Um, I found really that when you apply yourself to whatever it is, when you apply yourself and you have that focus, there's nothing that we as individuals can accomplish. Um, I am no more smarter or brilliant than anybody else. Mm. Uh, I just, I discovered that and I I learned that, you know, we can rise above who we think we are, right. We can, we can do more. So that was the one thing really that I, that I discovered while we were there. Um, who I found is, you know, I, I found, uh, you know, my wife and, We've been married now for just about 14 years. Congratulations. And yeah. It was, uh, yeah, thank you. And uh, we have two wonderful kids together, and, and we've been through a bunch of different adventures together, and, uh, you know, no sign of uh, stopping in the future. Well, with kids, we stop with kids, <laughs> but no, no stopping in the adventures, right? So we have lots of adventures planned for the future. Fantastic. All right, Jim. Well, hey, you passed all three questions. Good job. And now, yeah. now we are at the point where we're going to reveal your re-choice word. So, uh, Jim Dells, or should I say, Mr. James Dells, what is your re-choice word? Joe, my re-choice word is recalibrate. All right, recalibrate. And so when you hear that word, I mean, what does it immediately make you think of? Why does it jump out? Well, it jumps out at me because... There's been several times in my life where I've had to evaluate my current circumstances and then just do a little recalibration, mm-hmm. figure out you know how to tune my gears a little bit better so I'm back on the right track. We'll start by maybe even going back to your quiz questions, um, and then we're going to really pivot to something different that we've done here on the Rechoice podcast, but first... You know, think back to those quiz questions I just mentioned, whether it's, you know, high school or middle school, high school, the Navy, um, all of that. Where was the recalibrate in those stories? So, Joe, you know, there's there's part of my life that um, I don't really talk about too often. Mm-hmm. And it's not because I'm ashamed of it. It's because it's not, it, you know, it's it's defining of my character, but it really doesn't define who I am as a person. It's just just something that happened that's uh, let me grow. But, you know, all those years back when, when you knew me, um, there's, a, there's a lot of things that you probably don't know mm-hmm. about, uh, you know, some of my motivations or, or some of my lack of motivation when we were young adults. And I never completed high school. Mm-hmm. And it took me some, you know, a couple different events to really get back into it. And, it, and eventually, um, I did receive a high school diploma. And I did that because I wanted to join the Navy. And this was, you know, right after we had left school, you specifically, and, you know, the vast majority of everybody else who were in our class were off and they were going to, you were going to go. And eventually you did a bunch of great things. Um, you know, you started your life out pretty much at that point, And I had to wait. Right. And I'm not blaming anybody. It's my own fault. Um, but I, but I really, I had to recalibrate and it was because I started seeing different goals that I wanted to accomplish. So one of the first goals that I wanted to accomplish after that is I wanted to serve the country. What I found was 
I had high technical aptitudes. Mm-hmm. So when anybody goes to try to join the military, some of your listeners probably can relate to this because maybe they've done this themselves. But you go and you take a test. It's called the um, Armed Services Vocational Aptitude Battery. And they give you a, they give you a bunch of tests. And I scored really high on some of the portions and, and okay on some of the other ones. And basically the Navy recruiters were like, uh, you, you know, you have a lot of different opportunities, but we can't do anything with you until you finish high school. <laughs> yeah. And there, there was a guy there. Um, he was a Navy recruiter and he really went with me. He took me as his, you know, Padawan. He went with me to Northview and, and said, you know, what can we do for this guy to be able to come into the Navy? And we set up a plan. And the plan basically took a, a, you know, a lot of effort on my part, um, but a lot of compromise on the school's part to let me do an accelerated course so I could complete all of the credits required to graduate. I hear compromise there, but I also hear promise in that word compromise, meaning this recruiter saw something in you for sure. Would you agree with that or, or not? Well, I, I do. You, you know, when I, when I walked in, I was probably, uh, you, you know, not a spectacular human specimen, right? Um, you know, I've always been a little bit on the smaller side of the, you know, mm-hmm. spectrum. Um, once I sat down and I took that test and they saw how I scored on some of these things, I basically qualified for, for any job in the Navy that I wanted to do. Yeah. And I mean, that's a utility you know, player right there. Right. So, yeah. so, you know, I think at that point, you know, I was a, a commodity that they didn't want to let walk out the door just because it took a little bit of extra effort to, you know, get me through that. And that's kind of been how, how things have been in my life. I've, been, uh, you know, I don't want to say behind on some things, but, you know, even when I went to college, I was older than the rest of the crowd. Yeah. I love the lesson you said that you got in college in terms of, hey, you know what? I can do this. Yeah. And to be honest, I mean, that started, uh, you you know, after. So let me rewind just a little bit. Sure. So I did go back to to high school and I finished it and I, I went to the Navy. And, uh, you know, I was a, a youngster kind of out on my own and I had a lot of structure because the military gives a lot of structure. Mm-hmm. And what I found is once I got into that environment where I was a little bit out on my own, but also had structure and I was also doing something that I really loved to do, I got really good at it. And I started to learn right then and there that life's really not all that hard when you love what you're doing. Yeah, it lit a fire for sure. Definitely. Um, so, you know, that was that was really my first recalibration. Once I started learning how to be motivated, once I started learning how to be productive, then I really took off. I love that. So before we um, do a, a pivot into a, a whole different category, um, is there anything else you want our listeners to know about recalibration in terms of your history? So if the listeners are are interested at this point, it didn't stop there. At some uh, after I completed my degree at Grand Valley, I was accepted and I was given a full fellowship to go work on my doctoral degree. Hmm. And while I was in that degree, we were having some financial difficulties. Uh, you know, my wife has 
type 1 diabetes. So based on the stipend that I was getting as a graduate fellow and she was working full-time, we were just really having a, a hard time making ends meet. So that came another time where we had to recalibrate. We really had to look at our circumstances and say, is this working out? And mm-hmm. and when the answer was no, we had to make a tough decision and we had to recalibrate. And from that point, I went back into the Navy as an officer and I became a, a cryptologist. And my first tour dirty duty was working at the National Security Agency. Hmm. So here's this young kid a long time ago who couldn't graduate high school now leaving what many people probably fight for and will mm-hmm. never get the opportunity to do a full fellowship to go work on a doctorate degree uh exchange that to go work at the national security agency <laughs> can you imagine if somebody had told you like an eighth grade ninth grade this is what your path's going to be. I mean, that's incredible recalibration there. And it's just really neat to see, uh, you know, if you could talk to your your eighth grade self, your ninth grade self, right? I wish I could. And, you know, <laughs> and, we, we but all, would you listen? <laughs> I, don't, probably, I don't know. Probably not, right? <laughs> Who knows? Not. And I think we've all probably wrestled with this idea in our head, right? What could we, what would we do if we could go back right. and talk to our younger selves? Would we change anything? You know, and, you know, we could call this the butterfly effect on a a micro scale, right? You know, if we were to go back and tell our younger selves to do this or not do that, and how would it change our ultimate outcome? So when, when you consider that, right, if we, if we just imagine that, yes, it would change our outcome for better or worse, and we could argue all day which one that would be, maybe it's best if we just don't do that, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's good fantasy. Good, good thing to think about, right, when you're bored. But if I could go back and change anything, I totally wouldn't because mm-hmm. right now I have a wonderful family. I have two kids who I love dearly and a wife that's super supportive. I love her too. This is a, a wonderful life, and, and I couldn't hey, be happier. You got it made. So, <laughs> the lottery. That's, all, that's, that's really all you need, right? <laughs> sure, I mean, yeah. And so what do you do with the winnings? Because we, you know, when you do look globally, we do have it made, don't we? In a lot of ways, we do. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and now change gears a bit because uh, another way that Jim and I have really connected is in things that not a lot of people, at least in our position, we don't we don't talk a, a whole lot, a lot about. And um, so I'm just gonna go right there, and then I'll kind of explain to our listeners here how this the second half is gonna be different. But first. I want to thank you for what you've been willing to share already. I mean, I, I feel like the listeners at this point and they know you better. And you know what? I thought I knew you pretty well. I just got more three dimensional with you for sure. Let's talk about West Michigan in general. How would you describe the spiritual makeup of the area in which we grew up in West Michigan? If you had to guess, yeah, it's definitely heavily influenced by probably some reformist Christian. Uh, you know, beliefs. And, so. and I'm actually not sure on the next question. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this. How, how would you describe what your upbringing was with, with what you're comfortable sharing when it, when it comes to that spiritual makeup? Yeah. So, so my upbringing for, from the best of my memory is uh, there was a period in my life where we went to church, um, but it 
didn't last very long. So probably about the time I was seven or eight years old, we kind of stopped being participants in church. I do know that my family has, you know, my mom at least, um, you know, always had kind of that, you know, religious mentality. But from about the time I was seven or eight, we were not evolved. So my interest just kind of waned. Mm-hmm. And I actually, I can hear your mom's voice right now <laughs> because of all those days playing video games on, man, you had this jumbotron, like a uh, joystick for the NES that I was like, man, he's got the, the huge buttons one. I, I remember it being a little jelly for that. Anyway, I can, I can hear your mom's voice going, Jimmy, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hope you don't mind me just dropping that in there, but I sure remember that. <laughs> Trust me, I can too. And I also remember I was already getting older than your dad, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yep, definitely. <laughs> I'm, I'm much older than my dad already. <laughs> so, all right, really quick, tell the group. So my dad's a leap year baby. Um, <laughs> so, you know, leap year babies, they always have the same joke, right? They're, you know, they're only 16 years or whatever, even though they're I don't know how old, like you do the math, but uh, so I think my dad's like 19 now. So, so I, I just had to throw that in there, but I, thanks for like describing that spiritual background because we're, we're about to talk a little bit about our belief system, uh, Jim and I, and, and how I'm, I'm just telling you my heart, my heart beats just a little bit of even approaching this topic. I, I can tell you that I'm nervous even putting this episode out here. I'm worried that, you know, People might stop listening to this podcast, but at the same time, I, you know, part of this podcast is being honest and uh, maybe understanding people better. One thing that's different with that's unique to this particular episode is from this point onward, we're going to hear from other listeners too, who are willing to share their recalibrate, you know, in terms of their, uh, particularly in their spiritual beliefs. And one thing that all of our contributors have in common, they either grew up or spent some time in the West Michigan area at some point. From here on out, you'll hear just um, samples of them. I'm going to let them play in their entirety for each time that they're on. I gave them five questions to pick from, and the questions were as follows. They, they could answer one. They could answer all five. I asked, what, what's one experience that really shaped your current beliefs? What's one thing I wish other people would understand? What's one way I would define spiritual or one practice that I currently have in my spiritual life? One thing that brings me a sense of awe today and one response to the statement that there has to be something bigger. And so they they chose it from there. We're going to hear our first one right now. My name is Marietta from Marshall, North Carolina. I grew up independent fundamental Baptist, and today I am an atheist. The experience that shaped my current belief was really just trying to go deeper in my relationship with God. And the deeper I tried to go, the shallower God became until he just disappeared entirely. The thing I wish people understood is that it was the desire to know God and understand him better that actually led to no longer believing in him. I was a pastor's kid and very indoctrinated, so it's not a matter of needing to read the Bible or understand it better. To me, the word spirit literally means the thing that animates these human bodies, that spark of life without which we would just be corpses. So spirituality is anything that gets us better in touch with life and our inner selves, anything that helps us to live better 
and more fully. One thing that brings me a sense of awe today is nature. I live in the mountains with a lot of forest around, and this is my happy place. It's also a huge part of my spiritual practice. And I truly believe that we should be focusing on making life better for every person on the planet. And that if we did that, we might even lose the need for a belief in deities. All right, Jim. So um, I'd like to hear a little bit about about yours. Uh, when you said when you said it started really young and then it just kind of faded. Wh- why do you think that happened? Why did things change? Well, I can't pretend to know the true answer to that. But my <laughs> right. perception is. Um, I was just a kid, so other things started to become more interesting than something we weren't participating in. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure even if we had been participating, and by that I mean going to church on a regular basis, that I would have been any more interested in it, because to the best of my memory, even when we would go, I always find it kind of boring. Mm-hmm. It wasn't it wasn't engaging for me, and I kind of found the stories not to be... Uh, believable. Mm-hmm. I remember growing up with people who, because just a little bit of my, about my background, Jim, we, we didn't grow up in a spiritual household. You know, um, I know that at some point my parents tried Catholicism. <laughs> um, I think I was even baptized at birth. I know I, I tried it on, um, but we weren't, we were not going a church going family. That's for sure. And I, I remember looking around at others that were, and just kind of wondering why I didn't get it. And that's a hard feeling. That's It's hard for a young person to reconcile. And, uh, you know, there's there's got to be some people out there right now who are experiencing the same thing. I think so, too. Those core five questions that I asked the, the other listeners, I, I want to go through a little bit of that with you and then some. Okay. so. When you look at your current beliefs, I guess, Jim, I mean, I, I know there, there are people that really hate labels, right? Um, but I mean, if someone was just to ask you, what, what are your spiritual beliefs, Jim? How, how would you even today say, well, this is where I'm at? Yeah, I'm unashamed to say that I'm an atheist. What's one, one experience then that, that helped get you there, I guess, that helped shape those current beliefs? Well, it's, it's actually, kind of easy from my perspective. There's just no compelling evidence of the existence of any one particular God, much less one God above any other gods. And that's basically what the definition of atheism is, right? Mm -hmm. So you can look at it and you can, you know, you could break it down if you're a linguist, right? And you're into that. Um, But the basic definition of atheism is that you don't believe in the existence of any gods. I would imagine too, in, in all the traveling you've done, uh, you've probably had some experiences other than just West Michigan. Can you just Definitely. tell us, tell us a little bit about what, what that makes you think of? I've traveled in, into many places where the, the cultural background is different every single time. Uh, we we lived in Tennessee for a little bit greater than two years, and that is a heavily uh, outside of Memphis because Tennessee is a big state, kind of just like Michigan is. So we were in the Memphis area, and that is a typical Southern Baptist area, and mm-hmm. everything is influenced by 
the the Southern Baptist uh, personality. So we had a hard time finding a preschool. So one of my kids uh, didn't get to go to preschool because everything. I shouldn't say it like that. Mm-hmm. It, he he could have sure went to preschool. Yeah. We we chose not to send him to preschool. Um, but but the, the reality is there wasn't an opportunity for him to get a non-religiously influenced preschool experience. Wow. One of my kids, yeah. my, my, my oldest kid, he got to go to preschool. We lived in Hawaii. And at that time, uh, well, it's not that Hawaii is not doesn't have anybody who's religious, but their culture is different. So they have, you know, deep historical and their own individual culture. And some of the mainland, especially the world religious influences are there, but there's plenty of opportunity for, you know, non-religious based. And we don't even have to say secular education. It's just preschool that wasn't influenced by religion. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, when I think back to um, my own upbringing as well, I think one maybe one way you and I were a little different is that I was always a bit compelled and found it interesting and and I don't even know if that's the right way to say it. You know how you said it just didn't grab your attention? Um yeah. it grabbed my attention, but not for gosh, this is the answer. It was never like that. It was more of a from an observer standpoint of oh, look what's going on here. What's going on? You know, um from that standpoint and the more I've had, and I do find spiritual conversations very interesting. And, and the more I talk to people from variety of background, you know, the more I'm realizing, well, what determines one's background spiritual, spiritually? You know, what, 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 what determines someone's current religious beliefs? Many times it's, well, my dad or well, my family or well from the area I live in, you know, go to India, go to, go to Tennessee, go to, you know, that's always, uh, contributor to to one's beliefs you are you are absolutely right and it's a phenomena and there are a lot of individuals out there who identify you know whether uh overtly or not as atheist or agnostic who participate in the regular religious activities such as going to church because it's the cultural phenomenon and Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I, I'm going to say, unfortunately, that's my opinion on it. There are a lot of individuals out there who are non-believers who still go to church because they have to keep up the appearances that they are adherents to that. If not, they'll suffer extreme social consequences. And mm. I'm not talking yeah. in India or Saudi Arabia. I'm talking about here in the United States of America. Dude, I'm I'm talking pastors. <laughs> That's right. Um, with with uh, you know, certainly some of the reading I've done and conversations I've had, you know, where I've spent a lot of money um and studying to get to this position and what is it going to cost me to uh to question? What would it cost me to even, you know what I mean? And, and, and in some ways I really, uh, empathize for a person like that because that, that's a big cost. Right. And I'm not going to name names because no, I'm not either. It's, it, you know, it's not really important, but I've, I've, you know, had the opportunity to interact with some uh, people who, you know, were 
uh, you know, Pentecostal, Southern Baptist preachers who at some point in their life, something clicked inside their brain where they realized that even though they were still wearing the cloth, they no longer believed in it. And they kept doing it for some period of time because they had to, or they felt they had to. They couldn't turn that life away without costing them everything in their life. And to me, that's just like, I, I can't, I can't begin to wrap my head around it um, because I haven't been part of that. You know, th- but that's certainly has to be a trauma within that individual to to have to continue on with basically what becomes a charade at some point because they feel obligated to by either you know their community or whatever external pressures they have to keep that up. Yeah, there's a cost of relationships there, um, even even employment. Um, but also, I here's where I can feel it too a bit because I really did on. I want to say I I gave it a sincere try. You know, I sincerely tried to. Uh, I, I became a member of a Christian church. I really tried to pray. I tried all of that, and even in that short, you know, few years, when I walked away from that a few years ago. Um, I remember feeling like a grieving of a loss of the relationship that I thought I had. So imagine if you've had a relationship for decades with a, a spiritual being that there, that's a, that's a loss too, to even consider. Yeah. And to be honest, uh, I, I lack the capacity to be able to, to, to feel that, um, you know, I can certainly try to draw some relationship between, you know, losing a, uh, you know, a corporeal thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I can't even begin to, to imagine what it feels like to think that you've lost the love of basically a phantasm. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. you know, I mean, that might be hard for some people to hear, but I can't even begin to process what that feels like. And it's not that I have no empathy. It's not that I'm cold hearted. I have, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a warm person. Um, I understand love, but I can't begin to even think about what it is, Mm -hmm. or I can't, I can't feel what it is to lose something that's not reality. My name is Kurt from Grand Rapids. I would say that I grew up Christian, and today I consider myself to be an atheist. Uh, one experience that really shaped my current beliefs was actually reading the Bible. I read the Bible a couple times in college, and it kind of confirmed which direction I was going to go. One thing I wish other people would understand is that atheism does not necessarily mean that you hate Christians or you're against Christianity. It just means that we don't believe the same that you do. One thing that brings me a sense of awe is the idea of chance. The idea of randomness, the idea that this isn't all planned, that things can change, and the fact that we are here today just shows me the power of nature and the power of how, because this molecule got together with this molecule, we ended up today the way we are instead of ending up a different way. To me, the world works perfectly well without something bigger. Take care. Have a great day. Bye. And I think, too, Jim, there's a cost either way when it comes to thinking you know, atheist agnosticism, the cost of being somebody who thinks maybe different from a lot of people around us, the cost of being silent, 
you know, what, what's the cost of being silent about the questions we have and the doubts we have, do you think? There is cost, but, you know, the one cost, when you were saying that, I was thinking of something else. Yeah, so go ahead. Not to, not to turn this uh, into a different direction. I'll do it. But from Re- Recalibrate, Jim. Yeah, I'm going to recalibrate that question. <laughs> so there's definitely a cost when when you are either atheist or agnostic or you just identify as a non-religious person, mm-hmm. or even if you don't, but you don't do the religious things, there's there's always a cost because there's events that happen where people are going to come together and they're going to, you know, they're going to say something like, you know, uh, you know, let's do a prayer before we mm-hmm. eat the meal. And you have a choice at that point. You can either, you know, bow your head and, and pretend to be participating in that, or you don't, and you stand there. And you can be a jerk, and you can just say, no, I object to this. Um, but more often than not, you just stand there in silent in compliance, right? In silent mm-hmm. compliance with that. Um, so th- that's just one of the ways that it is so easy to make somebody who's a non-believer feel like an outcast. And I don't bl- I'm not blaming anybody. I'm not blaming the individuals who do that. They think they're doing the right thing, or at least they're doing what they think is right for them. And that's fine. Right. But when you're a non-believer or you don't practice religion, you get put into those scenarios. And I don't even think some people realize that they're doing that to non-believers. That's the hardest part about it, right? There's some people out there who are oblivious to the fact that there are non-believers in their proximity, and they just carry on like everybody else believes exactly the same thing they do. And it's not even just non-believers, but there could be people that believe something differently that are not Christian. Yeah, I, so when you start yeah. doing these Christian rituals at a at a gathering, you have basically just alienated anybody who's not a Christian, whether they're uh, atheist or agnostic or another belief. Hi, I'm Tara, and I'm from Grand Rapids, Michigan. I grew up as a Christian Reformed Church Evangelical Christian, and today I would consider myself to be a spiritual person, a seeker someone who is open to exploring and hearing many different experiences from many different folks. And I would say one thing that enhances my spiritual practice is my yoga practice, the actual asana or posture and breathing, the link between asana and pranayama or postures and breathing, as well as my mindfulness or meditation practice. I find that being able to move my body and connect it to breathing and also being able to be still and listen has been extremely beneficial and has allowed me to become more open-minded and to discover more things about myself. Yeah, and I can't tell you how many times I've been asked to personally pray, right? And again, uh, most of the time people are very apologetic afterwards when they realize it. And I guess that's what I mean by the cost of being silent is why would they? Why would they know if I've been being quiet? And so then there's also a cost of being open then. Okay, well, I'm going to go ahead then and and disclose uh, why I'm uncomfortable. And I'm going to disclose that I don't think the same way or that I maybe I don't feel like I belong right now. There's a cost there too. There and, definitely is. Yeah. Right? Because then people start treating you different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as, as much as... As much as it 
kills me to say that we shouldn't treat people differently. Like even the atheist and agnostic people do the same thing, right? So I'm I'm not at all going to pretend that atheist and agnostic individuals are better than anybody else. We're all just human beings, and we're all living life and going through and experiencing life in different ways. So it's not that one is good and one is bad. It's it's we all do this, but we sometimes we just we just don't understand how it feels when somebody else is basically forced to disclose that they're different. My name is Sarah Spearing. I'm originally from Grand Rapids, Michigan, but I'm currently serving in the United States Air Force as an officer stationed at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio. I grew up in an inactive Christian household, and today I consider myself spiritual. I also refer to this as Eighteen, whether that's atheist, agnostic, or simply ambivalent, I just don't subscribe to organized religion. I do, however, think that there is something bigger out there than just myself. We are all in the same boat. None of us can define what it is that is, in fact, bigger than ourselves. Without empirical evidence, no one should be forced to adhere to another's belief. For this reason, I feel we should be accepting of others and work to better understand our differences rather than insult people for their differences. In the end, none of us really knows the truth, but we still have to live with each other. I recognize that religion is often used as a catch-all for things that we simply do not understand, and I appreciate it as it has served a purpose and still serves a purpose. However, it simply does not work for me. I feel that I cannot subscribe to a specific religion if I don't truly believe in it, as that would epitomize the definition of hypocrisy. One thing I wish other people would understand is that no matter how much you go to church, and no matter how much you claim to be a Christian, or a member of any other religious group for that matter, simply stating the words does not negate immoral actions. Simply subscribing to a certain faith alone does not make you a decent person. I believe people should be good and do good things, not as a path to heaven, but because the action itself is inherently good and doesn't require any type of reward. Do the right thing simply because it's the right thing to do. And for this reason, I believe that anyone, including atheists, can live a happy, moral, and productive life. I am thankful for every day, hour, minute, as in my view, today, right now, is the actual gift. Though you may not achieve greatness every day, finding inner peace with who you are and the decisions you make is crucial. Think critically and be judicious with your choices. I often find that humans are insufferable because they feel entitled to more. We are an entire society of excess, and we seem to never be satisfied. What if this is it? What if some popular religions got it all wrong? And what if there is no afterlife and people squander the precious time, dare I say, the gift that they have been given in the here and now? With this, I say spirituality is finding the balance of living your best life and being content with the choices you make every day, because this may, in fact, be all that there is. And I, I realize too, some of the pressures in our head, you know, some of the pressure is fear of the unknown of what would happen if, but I also know that membership has its privileges. <laughs> you know, the, the word Christian is used all the time to signal others, right? To signal others that you're a part of us. And, but that also signals to me and probably to you that, okay, I'm, I'm the outsider again. And whatever our, backgrounds are and I'm I'm talking worldwide right now there's there's a universal need to belong to something and you know one of one of our listeners that 
that wrote something. Um, she, her name's Catherine, and she just says she feels very, you know, protective of young people who are experiencing that need to belong, especially those who don't believe in an organized religion or are searching for what they believe. And so, one, she wonders why it's so important to others to try and change what somebody else believes. And I'm using her words here. Generally, telling someone what to believe pushes them away. She wanted to know from from you and I, how do you respond to people who are really pushy about their beliefs? You know, so, somebody shows up to my door, and we this happened in Tennessee uh, frequently. And you know, they were always very nice. They, you know, they didn't want to be pushy. So I think. You know, there's some truth in that. The more you try to force somebody to believe something, the the the, the more likely they are to resist. Um, so, you know, individuals who are trying to convert you into their way of seeing the world are typically very nice in doing it. And I've always just responded with that same politeness. Mm-hmm. And then, at some point, if uh, you know, if they become a little bit more assertive about it, then I also become a little bit more assertive. But I basically just um, am, am open. I'm at the point in my life where there's not a whole lot that my identity, as far as my religious preferences go, is going to harm me, uh, you know, mm-hmm. socially. Like if if there's a group that I'm not part of because I don't believe the same thing that they believe, I am okay with that. Now, I understand that there's going to be young individuals out there who are grappling with this, and it's harder harder for them. You know, so this is just a privilege of being older. But you know, when when somebody approaches me, and don't get me wrong, I have associates or people that I consider to be close friends who are religious, and. We can talk about it. It's not that I don't like that individual. It's it has that has absolutely nothing to do with it. We yeah. just we just don't believe in the same things when it comes to one particular topic, right? We might disagree on some other things too, but you know that's all it comes down to. Of of the four thousand gods that have ever been known to exist in the mind of man for you know for all civilization. They believe in one, and I believe in zero. Right? Mm-hmm. We we all disagree that three hundred ninety nine thousand nine hundred. Oh, what? Sorry, did I say that wrong. <laughs> three thousand nine hundred ninety nine <laughs> of them don't exist. They think one does, and I think zero do. Right? So yeah. I mean, that's what, what it all comes down to. So as a as a you know, I don't know. I want to say we're, we're definitely not old guys. Um, uh, but as I'm, a, I'm not but old. As an older person, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but as an older person, <laughs> uh, you know, the social consequences to me are a little bit less. I also don't go around throwing my who I am in people's face either, right? Like yeah. I'm just a person, right? Um, the friends that I have, whether they know or not, I don't really care. I mean, I don't, I don't. You don't make it a thing. Yeah, I don't make it a thing. I don't. I don't like it. Doesn't dictate who I am. It doesn't change how I act. I'm just, I'm just me, and it's just like this, just one thing. Like, I, like I said, there's just zero gods that I believe in. And I, the things that I do, the actions that I take in my day-to-day life are not for some divine reward at the end of my life. They're because I'm trying to experience life as it, as it is right now. 
This is Joe reading for Bob Stone. I was raised in a strict Southern Baptist family and was going into ministry but lost that original faith, and now my belief system is best described as scientific pantheism. Reading Mark Twain caused a shift. Many of his less-known works were satirical mockings of the Christian worldview. Now in my 60s, I have traveled many roads, looked under many a rock since my high school days. So what do I believe now? First, let me say that I detest labels. I find them confining. I see the world in shades of gray. I find wonder in our natural universe, believing that I am a small but not insignificant part of the all. But then I still have roads to travel and rocks to uncover. Back to Catherine and what she said and what she does, she tries to tie things back to the basic values. Remember how I said universal um, need to belong? Well, I think there's universal ways people want to be treated too. And so when I I think of back to those three three values that you said earlier, honor, courage, and commitment. You know, in terms of all right, I don't make organized religion my thing. What do what is your thing that helps define? What, what Jim Dells does and how he lives. He just said them. Yeah, he, he the just honor, said them. honor, courage, and commitment, right? That's right. And, and you know, I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not pretending to be, uh, you know, 100% absolute Americana, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm a person. I'm flawed. There, there are some things about America that I disagree with and a lot that I love about being American. But, you know, when it comes down to it, uh, you know, honor, courage and commitment. Like we all – and when it comes down to how I feel spiritually, the courage part of it is is really the central focus, right? Being mm-hmm. able to be courageous and be who I am without – feeling ashamed about it, right? Like I'm I'm not a different person, right? I don't have different internal stuff, right? There's nothing wrong with me. I'm not broken in any way. I don't feel that way at all. I just simply don't believe in any gods. I don't do anything in my life in the hope that someday I'm going to get to meet some god and, you know, see the bird that lived for 10 years again. The fifth question I asked the listeners about the response to there has to be something bigger. How do you respond to that? Well, humanity is bigger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, humanity and the way that we treat each other, the way that we live, the way that we love, love is bigger. Yeah. Definitely bigger than me. Well, and Jim, this might sound cheesy, but I've actually gone by it for years now. I do believe in God. G-O-D. Ready? Gratitude, optimism, and determination. <laughs> so that's, that's wonder- that is great. Those are my three. <laughs> Joe, I like that. And you know what? There was a time where, where I thought I thought God is an acronym too. Really? Oh, I'm absolutely. so glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah. Except for except for um mine were genetics. 
opportunism. <laughs> and then I struggled with D for a long time. And the best I could ever come up with divergent evolution. Ooh, divergent. Right? Oh, that that's tricky. But then so that's, that's kind of like goad. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's cheating, totally cheating. But those were the, the that was that was my my God acronym acronym too. I'm um, I'm loving but, this. Yeah. yeah. So for me, gratitude was for like what I have in the past, right? Opti and the present. Optimism would be for the future, and determination would be I'm going to do whatever I can to make that possible. You're not going to have a chance later. This is the one shot we got, and so so do it now. How I'm going to treat people, how I'm going to step in, and and to tie it to yours to to be a little bit more courageous than I have been. Yeah, and and we can we can all do that. That's yeah. that's that's what we do as parents, right? That's what we do as uh, big brothers or big sisters. That's what we do as uh, just good stewards of our community. And you know, we definitely take turns. Uh, watching each other's kids in my neighborhood, and uh, you know that's that's being that's being a good human, right? That doesn't take spirituality. That certainly doesn't take being part of a specific club that identifies themselves only by their religious beliefs, right? Mm -hmm. That like everybody can do that, and and I think we all should. And and it's it's sometimes it's a really a shame when. Um, you know, being part of a neighborhood where you feel like you're the only person who doesn't believe everybody else, you feel less involved in that portion of it, that less less involved in that portion of community. And it's hard for the humanism of people to actually shine through because they're so focused on that label that they have or, you know, that because they see each other in the same building on, you know, Sunday mornings or Sunday afternoons that somehow, you know, that, that, that's, that makes them part of the group and anybody who's not there that doesn't, right. That's, that's not really taking advantage of all of the gifts that we have as human beings that come with being part of a community. Yeah, and and so that that one one thing I wish people would understand. I mean, that that's what it sounds like you're you're hinting at here. Just because I go somewhere every week, or you know, I've heard people say too. Well, if if I if I found out there really wasn't a God, or I mean, I don't know what I would do with my life. I don't know what I would do with my life if this this life becomes meaningless. That I wish people would understand that actually, to me, it it feels more precious. And and more meaningful right now because I get one shot. Right? Absolutely agree with that, right? And and as for people thinking that, uh, you know, belief in God gives them the only meaning in their life, uh, I I I feel a sorrow, right? That mm -hmm. that makes me sad to hear people think that. That's devaluing all of your other relationships on this earth. And you know, unfortunately, um, I believe that. They were programmed to think that, to think mm -hmm. that the relationships that they have right now are of less value with something that the best argument anybody can come up with is you'll see when you're dead. Yeah. Right. Well, and afterlife to me, I mean, what does afterlife mean to you? I don't believe that there's an afterlife. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I really don't. It, it, it's like, it'd be great if there, I would love it if somebody you know, if there were some, if it were true, I would love it. I would love to have the opportunity to be able to live forever with my kids. But I, 
but I don't, right? Like, I don't believe that there's an afterlife. And there's really no reason to believe that there is an afterlife. The second you start doing that, then you take this life less seriously. Let's say that's a powerful statement right there, Jim. And if there is an afterlife, at least in this, again, I'm talking very openly right now, listeners, and, and, and thanks for, for hearing us out today and just, just hearing where we're coming from. But I, I feel like afterlife is how people are going to remember me, you know, and, and the impact I've made on the world. And I think the world is going to have an afterlife, meaning after I'm gone, what's the world going to look like? And I do want a part in that, but, but like you, I, I think when it's done, it's done. My hope is that I've, I've given it the best shot I have. Yeah, that's right, Joe. And I mean, I agree 100%, right? That, that the true definition of afterlife is what legacy you leave behind, mm-hmm. right? What, what have you contributed in your mortal life that make people value you into the future beyond, you know, your expiration? And it's it's hard to communicate that to some people, right? It's hard to tell that to my nine-year-old, like what it means to live and die and be forgotten. You know, how do we remember those individuals that we've lost? To merely think that we're, we're their afterlife means we're going to see them again and not that their afterlife is all of the contributions that they've made to our life and love is cheap. Hi, my name is Andrea. I'm from Rockford, Michigan. I grew up, well, I was raised Catholic, and today I consider myself an atheist, but also still a seeker. The main experience I had that shaped my current beliefs, even though it took decades was the death of my father. I was 10 years old. I'm the oldest of three girls and he was somebody who worked in the Catholic church. He was a youth minister and our household basically was this Catholic faith. Just everything was seeped in it and it was talked about all the time and he loved to share his philosophy and his faith with us and he always made me feel like my opinion mattered and he really wanted to teach me these things and it was a special relationship. He was always kind and always a comforting father, but he also instilled in me that no matter what I needed to do was pray or have faith or ask and things would work out. One day before school, he was shoveling the driveway and was going to take us to school. And he walked in and passed out and died instantly. And I sat downstairs. I brought my sisters downstairs as my mom did CPR and waited for the ambulance. You know, I thought everything would be fine. I I yelled at my sisters that we had to get on our knees and pray. And we did. and, And he didn't come home. And it's a sad story. As an adult, I look back and realize of course, I'm not magical. Of course, I'm not directly attached or, or I don't have like a phone line into God. And it's not like everything works out great just because you ask for it. At the time, just because I had this child brain and that was my dad and he told me everything would be fine and it wasn't. So it crushed me on many levels. And I think that's where the journey started for me. I think it's great to hope for things, pray for things, whatever. But at the same time, we have to really look to ourselves to take the action to do the things that we want for ourselves and the good deeds that we want to share with our fellow people. And 
honestly, in my opinion, religion, organized religion is a very egocentric type of philosophy, you know, where everything, of course, revolves around us, you know, like, we'll be here in the end of times, because we're so important, of course, it would happen to us now. Also, that personal relationship with God. I mean, I don't, I think it's important for people to have what they need. And if that's something that brings them peace and joy, that's, that's great on a personal level. But I just think that organized religion has been used so many times as a power play. And in that way, I don't think people are really looking at it as something that's bigger than them. I think they're looking at it as a tool to either describe what they want or get what they want. And that to me just brings it right back to that egocentric thing. One thing I wish other people would understand is that I am not angry at God. I don't believe there is a God. So for me, there isn't anything to be angry about. There isn't any reason that something like this happens. You know, tragedy hits everybody all the time. And I don't believe that there is a re, you know, everything happens for a reason is probably my most hated phrase because I think that there's chaos, there's sickness, there's accidents, there's things that happen. And yes, our choices have a little bit to do with that, but sometimes things just happen. All right. Let, let's talk a little bit now. How how are you on time, by the way, Jim? You good? I, I'm, I'm super open. Like we can keep going all night long. So glad to hear that, man. And uh, that's why it's a good, good reason why we're doing this on a Saturday night. I have a a, a nice beverage here in front of me. I mean, I am super comfortable. <laughs> yeah, actually, I do, I, do, I do need to go freshen up. Can we take a, a two minute? Yeah, do it. Uh, cool. I'm going to leave my phone on. I still have a good charge on it. How about you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I made sure that I was 100% before we started. All right. We'll see you in two. Yes, we will take time to freshen up and go deeper. See you for part two, which will launch next week. You'll hear from more guests, including a former Christian minister. Are you enjoying the show? Give us a high five. Go to rechoicepod.com and select support the show in the menu. There are many ways to support us, whether that's rating the podcast through your podcast player or buy a cup of coffee for me through the website or become one of our monthly supporters on Patreon. As a monthly supporter, you get that warm feeling of being a part of something and helping us out, but also you get access to benefits. For example, all levels of monthly supporters get early access to our episodes so you can hear it first and maybe even catch a mistake or two before I pub- publicly launch them. In fact, our patrons already have access to part two of this particular show. Are you interested? Go to rechoicepod.com to learn more. You can also check out our store also at the website for a coffee mug, socks, stationery, featuring the outdoors and more. A portion of each purchase goes directly to the show. Your feedback and encouragement also keeps me going. Thank you to our 10 contributors to these particular episodes. Marietta Carmody, Tara Cleveland, Charles Haney, Matt McKellar, Sarah Spearing, Bob Stone, Kristen Vanderzauen, Catherine and Kurt Van Overen, and Andrea Venza. And of course, our guest, Lieutenant Commander Jim Dells, who also did a lot of the editing for our guests on this particular show. Danny Pellerito produced our music and listeners, thank you for stopping by. Reframe your past, renew your present, 
reclaim your future because after all, it's always a choice. Take care and see you next time. Thank you.